0: Learn more at marines.com. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to the Tell It Abs It Is podcast, episode 35 on the Hockey Podcast Network and sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locks to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the most coveted trophy in basketball this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook America's top-rated sportsbook app is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets turning $1 into $100 is simple. All you have to do is pick any basketball team to win their next game. And if that team hits just one three pointer, you will bring home $100 on just that $1 bet that is 100 to one odds on the team of your choosing to simply hit a free pointer. That's all it takes they don't even need to win all it takes is just one three-pointer for 100 to 1 odds that is basically just free money there is no excuse not to sign up with draftkings sportsbook right now before this offer ends for your shot at what is essentially free money draftkings is safe secure and reliable so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets if the basketball team of your choosing hits just one three-pointer. That's code THPN to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. So the trade deadline is finally in the books, the Avalanche have made their moves. They are all in towards the Stanley Cup. They have two more games in the books with two more wins. But we have to start with something a little more negative today because this takes precedence over all of that. Philip Grubauer joins the COVID-19 protocol list for a positive test that was announced This morning as the Avalanche did not have a morning skate before their game tonight that just wrapped up against St. Louis and Philip Grubauer was the one that tested positive. This test comes a day after the team announced that all players and staff had been vaccinated for COVID and very unfortunate timing as now the Avalanche are without arguably their most valuable player so far this season and Thank God we went out and got Devin Dubnik now before the deadline. Dubnik started tonight against the Blues. That was the plan anyway, but now it looks like we'll have to be leaning on him and JoJo, it seems, for the next 10 days, since that is normally the amount of time it takes for him to isolate from the rest of the team and wait to test negative. There's always the hope that maybe it was a false positive test, and he could be back sooner than we know. Obviously, the most important thing here is obviously it's we hope it's not serious and that Grubauer will ultimately be okay. But the best thing we can hope for here is that it was a false positive. That is something that we've seen in the NHL recently. But we will likely have to move ahead with the assumption that he's going to be out of the lineup for at least 10 days while he isolates from the rest of the team. And this, this is it. This is what we have been afraid of the entire season. We never wanted to bring up the possibility, but now we're here. And this is the Avalanche without Philip Grubauer. And... If you told me that a month ago, I would be absolutely terrified. Make no mistake, I am terrified of not having Grubauer as the starting goalie of this team. But if you told me that a month ago, I I would probably put our playoff hopes into question. Especially if you told me this in the beginning of March. Oh man, this this would be a, a meltdown disaster. But now, thank God... Just a few days earlier, we went out and got Devin Dubnik for this now. And thank God, a few weeks before that, we went out and got Jonas Johansson. So, it's not as bad as it would have been prior. I mean, that this is every fear that the organization, the entire team, all the players, and all the fans have had ever since Pavel Francos was out of the lineup The fear that if Grubauer goes down, does this house of cards come tumbling down, and can the team survive without him? And we've been lucky so far this season that he's remained injury-free, that he hadn't tested positive for anything, and now here we are. At least it's not in a month from now when the playoffs start, and also... At least it wasn't a month ago when we had no other option to turn to but Hunter Miska in net. So this is going to be a tough stretch for the Avalanche, I imagine. I mean, maybe by the time this is up tomorrow morning, or at least in a few days, it, a false positive and group is able to come back sooner than later. But again, we have no indication of that on this moment. So we have to assume at least that he's out the 10 days, and now Devin Dubnik and Jonas Johansson are going to have to be leaned on a lot more for this team. Obviously, like I said, Devin Dubnik started the win against St. Louis tonight. He's on the board with his first win as a member of the Avalanche, and it was always the plan for him to be starting tonight in the first of four games in a week against the Blues and Jonas Johansson now coming off one goal on 56 shots against in that series against Anaheim. He's a 929 on the season. So I have more faith in our goaltending now than I would have a month ago. If there was ever, ever a time where this had to be a thing that comes up for this team now would probably be the time that they could survive the best. They have Dubnik, they have Jonas Johansson, two guys they've acquired. This is not going to bleed into the playoffs, or, God, I hope not. And this, this really could be way worse for the team. Obviously, the big concern is Grubauer and his health. Like I opened with, the team was vaccinated the day prior. Maybe that will ultimately help, but we just don't know yet. He's joining Bowen Byram on the COVID list for the team. He's been off the ice for a week already. He's obviously the only one in this batch that tested positive, so maybe he didn't spread it to the rest of the team. The game went on tonight without a hitch. There seemed to be very little concern about playing the game tonight, and if there was, I really doubt there would have been a game tonight at all. But now we're really gonna see the metal of this team tested. This this like I said, this is it. This is the fear of the team that has been there since game one of the season. Can we survive without Philip Grubauer? And now we are about to get our answer. We got one win on the board with the blues tonight with a four to three win with Devin Dubnik in net. I would much rather have preferred to have Grubauer in net, but considering the circumstances, it seems to be okay. So ultimately, this could be nothing if it is a false positive. And if it is a positive and he's out the 10 days, comes back, tests negative, no long-term symptoms, then I think we can survive it. There's also obviously the possibility that this could be a disaster and keep Grubauer out of the lineup for longer than 10 days and also affect him in the future and in the playoffs and obviously we're all hoping that that is not the case but this was this this like I said this was the fear the entire time and now we can see the metal of this team really be tested now that they don't have their failsafe behind them cuz there there were stretches of this season where Grubauer was their fail-safe and guarded them from everything. And the Avalanche would make mistakes. Grubauer would bail them out, especially early in the season. That was very much the case with this team. Obviously, the defense has gotten better, much, much better, basically league best better. But Grubauer definitely still has a large part to play in that, in propping them up. As well to look as good as they are. They're very good on their own, but having a goalie in the Vesna conversation definitely helps you look even better. And he's not in that Vesna conversation by accident. So, again, hope this is not serious for Grubauer. Hopefully, this is a false positive at best and a 10 day isolation at worst. If it is just that, if it is, We have to survive for 10 games without him, and ultimately he is okay. I think we can survive it if you count today as the first day. 10 days from now would be, I believe, April 25th. So if that is the case, the first game I believe that he could be back is the first game against Vegas on the 26th that being on the road. He would miss the upcoming series against the Kings and the three straight games on the road in St. Louis. Again, I would have advocated maybe for Dubnik and Johansson to get the Kings games anyway, and Grubauer to play the Blues, or at least two of them. But now we can really see what Dubnik has in store for us. I mean, this is why we got him. We got him as insurance just in case something happened to Grubauer. And if nothing ever happened to Grubauer, to at least give him more of a break. And this is why we got Johansson a few weeks ago. We got we got him for essentially this scenario. And if there was ever a time, like I said, for this scenario to rear its head, now is the ideal time for it. Not a month ago when we only had Hunter Misca and not a month from now when we're just starting the playoffs. So I think we can survive it. It's not going to be easy, but we have made the moves necessary to at least be able to win most of these games without any sort of excuses. So hopefully Grubauer can be back sooner than later. Hopefully everything ends up all right with that situation. Hopefully everything's all right with Bo Byram as well. He's been on the list for about a week ever since he's been recovering from the injury that he suffered against Vegas a few weeks ago. And right when he got healthy again, he had to be put right back on that list. So hopefully everything's all right with him as well. But on to some of the more happy stuff with the Avalanche, more of the positive things. Trade deadline has come and gone. The Avalanche have made their moves. We talked about two of them on the last episode, Patrick Nemeth and Devin Dubnik not paying a ton to get them, and they make one more right before the buzzer at the trade deadline they acquire or reacquire, in this instance, Carl Soderberg from the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for Josh Dickinson and Ryder Rolson. Now, obviously, as you know, Carl Soderberg was on this team not too long ago. He was on this team for four seasons from 2015 to 2019 before he was dealt to the Arizona Coyotes for Kevin Connaughton and a 2020 third-round pick. That third-round pick was later packaged to Washington for Andre Burakovsky. So in a way, Soderberg helped the Avalanche acquire Burakovsky and now we've got him back. And we really didn't pay a lot to get him. Didn't give up any draft picks. So the only guys we gave up, Josh Dickinson, currently playing in the ECHL, switching time between the Eagles and the Utah Grizzlies in the AHL and the ECHL. Doubt we'll miss him that much. Ryder Rolston, a 2025th round pick of the Avalanche. Played for the for Notre Dame this season for the NCAA. One goal, five assists in 28 games. Maybe he has a future in the NHL, but who who really knows? That seems like more of a lottery ticket than anything. And now we get Carl Soderberg, No salary retained to help the Avalanche shore up their depth. And much like the Patrick Nemeth move, I really like this a lot. I mean, you know what you're getting with Carl Soderberg. That's what I like about it. Why go out and trade for some unknown fourth line commodity when you can just get a guy who you know and who you know is good and good enough in your role. you don't need to you don't need to go out and trade with Buffalo for Riley Shahan or just for anyone in that instance to fill in a depth role. You can just get a guy you know, a guy that you know people in the locker room like and someone you know that your coach is already familiar with. So I see no issue with that move whatsoever. He played his first game with the Avalanche tonight, starting on the second line, actually, because Donskoy was out with an unrelated illness, not related to COVID. I mean, I think it was more feeling the ill effects of the vaccine, he said, that had him not feeling well coming in. So Soderbergh starts his tenure or his new tenure with the Avalanche on the second line with Kadri, and Burakovsky ultimately doesn't score a point in To be honest, I really didn't notice him all that much. I really noticed more that Jacob McDonald had changed his number to 26 to accommodate Carl Soderbergh. And I kept getting confused every time I saw Jacob McDonald on the ice. But you're seeing right away the benefits of getting Carl Soderbergh. We got a guy to plug in for Donskoy when Donskoy immediately goes out with an illness. So you're already seeing the benefits of trading for him. Seems to plug in just fine. He played 15 minutes tonight, which is pretty normal for a guy that's going to be playing in your top nine. I'm pretty sure he switched back and forth with Brandon Saad throughout the night, but yeah, I mean, not a whole lot to say on the trade, really. It's a depth move, a guy we already know. I pretty much said most of what I need to say when I talked about the Patrick Nemeth trade, and we've all seen what Carl Soderberg can do here. He was here for four years he had a 23 goal season the last time he was here. He had 49 points in 82 games that time. The Avalanche were the second wild, or the second time the Avalanche were the second wild card in the West and knocked off Calgary. And last year in Arizona, after we dealt him, 17 goals, 35 points, and signs with the Blackhawks this off season, seven goals in 34 games and 15 points. So. Maybe a little bit of a drop off in production, but not really anything dramatic. Honestly, I'd say that's about the same in production. Not good at, obviously, not very good at math, but that seems to be just about the same. He seems to have been pretty consistent over the years. I'm I'm pretty excited to add him to this team and just see what he can do. And for a million bucks, we could fit him under the cap without the Blackhawks even retaining any salary, and we're still not really up against the cap. We'll be able to finagle our way through the taxi squad and calling people up for the rest of the season. And like I said, Donskoy was immediately out tonight. So he immediately had to make himself useful on the second line. He could feel it right away. So again, another sh- another strewed move by Joe Sakic at the deadline. And man, I might have criticized the Dubnik trade at the time, but this is literally the first game that he's been here for us, or the second game, actually, but the first game he's played with us, and I'm already like, mm, yeah, no, no, that was a pretty good move. We needed something else to just... Because for this exact situation, for if Grubauer was ever out, and now he is, and Dubnik and Johansson are going to have to be relied on more, and I would bet Dubnik gets the majority of the starts, and I'd feel more comfortable with that than Johansson getting them. So you look at the Avalanche after the trade deadline now, Carl Soderberg, Patrick Nemeth, and Devin Dubnik. Patrick Nemeth still dealing with a hand issue that he was having in Detroit. It doesn't seem like he's going to be out that long, maybe just a little bit longer. I mean, we didn't get him for this particular stretch. He's going to make his uses far more felt in the playoffs and down the home stretch, and he'll probably plug in on a bottom pair with Ryan Graves, and this is, this is pretty much exactly what I asked for, is it not? I mean, I'm, I talked on multiple episodes just looking ahead at the trade deadline. It's just like, it really wouldn't hurt to add a little bit of everything, would it? And that's exactly what they did. They got a little bit of everything. They got a third pair of defensemen in Nemeth. They got an insurance backup goalie in Dubnik, and they've got... Carl Soderberg back. It's almost like we're getting the band back together, Soderberg and Nemeth, and just having a Devin Dubnik redemption arc in Colorado. I mean, it, it feels weird to cheer for Devin Dubnik. I will not lie, but I am, I am able to put that past of him being an annoyance and a pain in the ass out of my mind if he gets his name on the Stanley Cup this summer with the Avalanche. At this point, he's an av now, The pass doesn't matter. Let's go win a cup. But I love this deadline. There were rumors that they were in on Taylor Hall at the deadline, and they were coming down to the wire. Ultimately, obviously, the Bruins ended up getting him for a not substantial package, but Taylor Hall ultimately had control of the team that he was going to get traded to. He had a full no-movement clause, and The Avalanche, they might have had an offer on the table, might have even involved a first or whatever, but that doesn't matter to Taylor Hall. He wanted to go to Boston, and if he wanted to be an Avalanche, we offered him a contract before the season, so I don't know. I'm not going to lose any sleep about not getting Taylor Hall. This team's pretty freaking good already. We didn't need someone to just plug into the top six. It wouldn't hurt, but we didn't need him. And there, there was rumors that they were big game hunting before the deadline. Obviously, Carl Soderberg is not big game hunting. I believe the report, but I believe Joe Sackick believes that this is an all-in year and was exploring options for what would be a substantial upgrade on what is already a stacked avalanche team and just ultimately there was nothing out there that would have ultimately worked. I do believe that he was in on Taylor Hall because the avalanche were always surrounded in those rumors at least a little bit. There really wasn't like huge names moved at this deadline. There was one huge trade. There was obviously the Anthony Mantha trade to Washington that saw Jacob Vrana and a first go the other way. Also Richard Ponix contract getting attached along with a second round pick. That was the blockbuster deal of the day that came out of nowhere at 3:30 Eastern time when all the trades in the queue were being cleared out. but really wasn't any like big game hunting at least on the final day. I mean Taylor Hall was traded at midnight before the deadline. That does that to me that doesn't even really count as a deadline day. so it's not like they missed out. On anything, this was a pretty dead deadline up until the Anthony Mantha deal. There was, up until that deal, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven trades. So before three o'clock, there were literally just a measly seven trades. One of them being the Vegas Golden Knights acquiring Mateus Yanmark from the Chicago Blackhawks in exchange for a second and third round pick. And that concludes your West Division arms race because Minnesota did nothing, St. Louis did nothing, the Ducks sold a few pieces, the Sharks made some moves, the Coyotes did nothing, which shocked me, kind of, because I thought they were at least going to do something with all the contracts they have expiring and the lack of draft picks that they have. I would have I figured... That Arizona was gonna make some kind of move. I mean, you look at the bottom half of their list that like guys like Brassard and Michael Bunting, I guess they would keep bunting, but Alex Goligowski, Nicholas, Jalmerson, Jason Demers, Jordan Osterley, Ilya Labushkin. I mean Auntie Ranta, they didn't they didn't do anything. They literally did not make a single trade. Their last trade was in December when they traded. Derek Stepon to Ottawa. And that was it entirely. They did nothing at the deadline. And they still have no first round picks. I don't know if they would have gotten a first round pick. But if you don't have a first round pick, the best thing you can do is acquire a bunch of later picks. And I don't know, I guess they think they're in. Still, we'll talk about our game against the Coyotes in a, in a moment. Because it was a very weird game, and it was actually a game I thought the Avalanche got outplayed in because they were exhausted. But the Coyotes are falling cold now. They they were on a four-game win streak a while back, and now they have lost five in a row. And now the Blues have taken back that final playoff spot. We talked about it a little bit last episode, but now it's the Blues' spot to lose, and. Arizona once again just does not look very good. They lost earlier today five to two to Minnesota. They lost four to two to the Avalanche, which we'll talk about in just a second. And they lost both games to Vegas in very different manners. They lost one seven to four, and the other one one to nothing. And they lost another game against the Kings before that. So they were they were hot for a moment there. And now they're cooling back off. I mean, it's just not a good hockey team. If we're being honest, the Coyotes are not a good hockey team. And I don't know what management is seeing there that makes them want to stand pat and not want to at least try to get more draft picks. Because how many of those guys are re-signing? I mean, really, how many of those guys are re-signing? Like Connor Garland's name was on the market. That's the one guy where I'm like, no, you don't trade him. But like everybody else like Broussard there was there was no market for Derek Broussard none at all for a guy with 16 points for just as like a depth center no one would have wanted Nicholas Jalmerson who analytically is one of the best defensive defensemen in the league or at least he was a few years ago I haven't checked recently but I doubt it's dropped off that much no one wanted Alex Goligowski like just no one wanted any of these guys or did you not try and I know I'm talking a lot about the Coyotes here, but I really am just surprised that they did nothing. But what I was talking about getting back on track was Vegas acquiring Matthias Janmark from the Blackhawks. And that being it, I'm surprised Vegas was able to make any move at all. Their their cap space now, this is not a joke, is $34,000. They are quite literally up against it, very, very up against it. They have to be very, very careful with their call-ups. Now, obviously, in the playoffs, cap space doesn't matter, so we're not going to be able to get lucky against them if we do end up playing them and have them ice 16 skaters because of the cap. That's not going to happen, but that's all they did, Matthias Yanmark, and that's not going to be a move that all of a sudden makes them... Equals with the avalanche. I mean, it it gives them some depth, just some increased depth. It's not like Yanmark's a bum. He's gonna probably play third line, I would guess, probably third line wing, with Thomas Nosek and Alex Tuck, which is pretty good. It gives Vegas some solid depth. I mean, obviously their top six is very decent but it does it still doesn't match up with the avalanche and the the avalanche made the most moves out of anybody in the west and it's not like they were swinging for the fences type of moves it was just defensive depth goaltending depth and offensive depth and vegas only made one of those moves and for the wild they did nothing that doesn't surprise me i think this this season is playing above expectations, and I think they know that they're not going to get out of the West. I think they're hoping that they can win a round, whether it is against the Avalanche or the Golden Knights, but I think I think they know they're not going to be representing the West in the Final Four this season. So they're plenty happy to hold on to both of those first-round picks and the... The first and third they got from Pittsburgh in the Jason Zucker trade last year and just take the momentum from this season, whether or not the playoffs are a success or not for them, and try to build up stronger for next year and continue to build that prospect pool. And for the Blues, I think, they, I think if they lost those games to Minnesota, I think Mike Hoffman would be on another team right now but ultimately since they did win and look pretty damn good in doing so, they beat Minnesota 9 to 1 in one of those games. And even even against the game, even in the game tonight, which I'll get to after I talk about the Coyotes game first, the Blues still looked good. They look like a a desperate team that still wants to make that final playoff spot in the West. They haven't given up whatsoever. I don't think it was good enough for Armstrong to buy. I don't think any of that management buys that this is a cup contending team, but they want to make the playoffs. And it would only have hurt them to trade Mike Hoffman. And it it would have been a tough sell to miss the playoffs this season. So I understand why they did nothing. They were connected to Taylor Hall as well. That really didn't make a ton of sense unless they believe that Taylor Hall was just magically the solution here, which he very much would not be because we I, I've had this conversation about Taylor Hall is that if you're expecting a game breaker, you're not gonna get it, but you're also not getting a bum. I'm, I'm not talking about Taylor Hall on this show. I've talked about him enough in the past two weeks, but that's it for the Western Arms race. Yeah, Vegas got Mateus Yanmark. Ooh. I'm, I'm terrified. I'm shaken in my boots at the prospect of having to play Mateus Janmark. And I'm sure sure they're absolutely terrified at the fact that we got old Carl Soderberg back and, ooh, Patrick Nemeth, yeah. I'm sure that really changes the dynamic of the the playoff series, or at least the alleged playoff series that's coming up in the second round. But that really wraps up the trade deadline, especially in the West Division. Obviously, there there were other moves made, Uh, the big one being, obviously, the Mantha deal to Washington, but... As much as I would love to talk about my thoughts on that trade, this is not a Capitals podcast. This is an Avalanche podcast. So that pretty much wraps up the trade deadline. A little more of a dud than I was expecting, and I expected it to be a dud, but I didn't think it would be that boring. But all in all, the Avalanche do what they need to do. They're a better team for it, and they have a better chance at lifting the cup because of it. I think that is ultimately what the trade deadline is for. It's not for... Adding a top-six guy, it's to fill in the little pieces around the margin because I don't think the best teams in the league need to do that. So moving on to the two games for the Avalanche. First one, second half of a back-to-back against the Arizona Coyotes. And they got outplayed in this game. But the thing is, they got two points out of it anyway because they're just that... Flipping good because it just sometimes doesn't matter if they get outplayed. This is really like the first time, like in a while, that they won a game where I was like, wow, they got outplayed. Arizona played tough in this game and they deserved a better fate in this one. But when you look back at like the last time. We lost in regulation to the Coyotes, the 3-2 to regulation loss where they scored three goals on, like, 11 shots, and we outshot them by, like, 40. They did not deserve two points in that game at all, but they got them. And now that we've wrapped up the season series, they did deserve two points in this one, and they didn't get them. We got them instead. I mean, I would have... I would never have predicted this stat line. The Coyotes outshoot the Avalanche 37 to 20 in this game. Uh that's usually reversed. I don't th- I would doubt the Coyotes have gotten more than 37 shots on goal in a game this entire season. But Philip Grubauer in this game was outstanding that the the decision to play Jonas Johansson against Anaheim in both games was a very shrewd one from Jared Bednar because he got the win in both of those games and played very very well and it got Grubauer time to put his head on straight because if this was the Grubauer that played against Minnesota this would have been an ugly loss for the Avs. but the thing about the Avs is is that even if they get outplayed they're just good enough to win anyway The goals in this game, Brandon Sod, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen. I mean, this wasn't like a back-and-forth game. The the Avalanche had a 3-0 lead halfway through the third period. And the Coyotes made this game close. Michael Bunting. Michael Bunting, I talked about this, but like Michael Bunting is just that guy that at the end of the season comes on a team that's, not going to make the playoffs, Coyotes are not making the playoffs, that just comes on a team that's not making the playoffs and just scores 10 goals to end the season and then is just never heard from again. He's got six goals on the season right now. He's 25 years old. All of his NHL games, or at least most of them, I'm sorry, he played five games in 2018 and now is back and he's played nine games in a row. So... Just comes out of nowhere, shoots 31%. He's got six goals in nine games and one assist in that time period. And I I essentially guarantee that by next season, we will never hear that man's name again. Like, you, you see this every year. Some guy that just comes out of nowhere and scores a ton of points and then just disappears into the night, never to be seen again. But he gets his sixth and then little under three minutes later, Johan Larson makes it a one-goal game and had to hold tight a little bit down the stretch. The Coyotes kept coming, and, but the Allen, Adel- they didn't break. They kept pushing back. They didn't give an inch. Grubauer continued to play very, very well, and they held on and ultimately were able to win this game they didn't take any dumb penalties outside of the one from Taze that cost them the first goal against and Miko Rantanen gets the fourth goal of the game to put this away not even in an empty net just a goal on the goalie to make it a 4-2 game with under 2 minutes left i mean this the coyotes have had some bad goaltending luck this season not that their goalies have been bad but the guy playing in this game his name is Ivan Prozvetov. I hope I got that right, but this was his third NHL game, and or not even his third ge- This was his first game started, now that I'm reading the stats correctly. This was the first game he ever started. He's come in in three games in relief for Aiden Hill. He is the fourth string goalie of the Arizona Coyotes, and he has an 8-24 on the season. He's made... Man, he's had nine goals against on 51 shots against, and this that's his entire career. Actually, we've seen him before. Remember the, uh, the nine to three win for the Avalanche against the Coyotes? Yeah, that was the first time he ever stepped into an NHL net after Aiden Hill got pulled after letting in four goals. In the first seven minutes of the game, he immediately lets in the hat trick from Donskoy and it just piles on from there. He's managed to record an 821 in that game, which is honestly respectable considering how much the Avalanche dominated. And then he comes in relief against the Golden Knights just five days ago and four shots against, one goes in. This is his first start and gets beaten by elite players. There's no shame in being scored on by Nathan McKinnon and twice by Miko Ranton. I hope he's at least holding his head high, because this was not his fault. Ranta and Kemper have been out for a long time, and just Aiden Hill and Ivan Prosvetov is not an NHL duo. This is like this game is kind of what happens when you put a Vesna caliber goalie like Philip Grubauer against a guy making his first NHL start. I mean, maybe if Darcy Kemper starts this game, maybe the Coyotes win it. And maybe they feel better having a better goalie in net and score more goals as well. That's just what happens when you have a solid goalie in net. But just this, this this one had to sting for the Coyotes, especially now that they're they're that was the first half. No, it wasn't. Those was, they had a game just two days later against the Wild that they got beat pretty badly in five to two. And like I said, they're on a five game losing streak now. I mean, this was also just a weird game. There was the. The no goal review in the beginning of the game, that they the refs called a goal initially, but you never saw the puck cross the goal line on the review. And but the first review was for goalie interference, or I don't even I'm pretty sure it was for goalie interference. I don't even know what they were reviewing the first time. And then they call it a goal, and then Bednar challenges it, and then they look at it again. And they're like, uh first of all, is being interfered with, actually and the puck doesn't go in the net. And this this takes like 15 minutes, by the way. The, this, like, I just wanted to turn the game off. I was like, we just started. Can we play the game now, please? And this takes 15 minutes for them to determine that the puck didn't go in the net. So that was a great start to the game. And then eventually the net breaks, and they have to zip-tie the net down to the ice, And then Donskoy loses the puck in his pants. The the puck literally goes up his pants and gets lost in it. Like, these Arizona games are always so strange, and I'm kind of glad we don't have to play them anymore because, one, they're boring, and, two, they're just so bizarre. When the Avalanche aren't scoring nine goals on them, which is bizarre enough already, there's just a bunch of other bullshit shenaniganery happening that makes these games break my brain. And... The Avalanche did get outplayed in this game by Arizona. The the Avalanche are tired right now. This is a tired hockey team and I feel like I'm going to be saying this on every episode until the end of the season. This team is tired. They are very very tired. You can you can see it on the ice now like They still have their speed. They still have their skill. And that's why they're still getting wins. And that's why they're now on a four game winning streak. But they are, they're struggling. They really are struggling on the ice. You can, you can see it. Arizona did outplay them in this game. And it's really the, really the first time I feel like I can say the Avalanche did not deserve to win this game. And the Coyotes deserved a better fate. But, Man, this team is just so tired. They've they haven't had more than 2 days off in I believe 11 weeks now, and they've had 3 back-to-backs, 4 back-to-backs in that stretch as well. That's 4 back-to-backs and 0 times do they have a 2-day break in between. The only time they're going to get a 2-day break, 2-day break from now until the end of the season is when the season is over the last game they play against the kings on april 8th may, hopefully there's a little bit of a break between then and the playoffs i would assume so i think they the nhl like today moved a vegas sharks game to like may 10th or something so that should at least push the west playoffs back a little bit so they'll they'll, they'll be able to breathe a little bit after that but it is going to be a slog from now until the very end of the season like I guess we can get into the Blues game now because this is a good way to lead into it I really thought this game against the Blues was a scheduled loss if I'm being honest I really thought this was a scheduled loss with the how tired the Avalanche were and how it was reported yesterday and this morning that the Avalanche had taken their vaccines and everything and their guys were feeling the fatigue effects of it and that Donskoy was out and then it comes out this morning, that Grubauer's on COVID protocol and the Blues just looked like a good hockey team as of late. When they played Minnesota, they looked desperate. They were hot. They'd won three in a row. I re- I really thought they had a real chance to get their ass kicked tonight and deserve it and just nothing they'd be able to do about it. But this team just doesn't stop impressing me. They, they just keep finding ways to win. In the first period, the Avalanche ended the period with the advantage in shots on goal, but I wouldn't say they were better than the Blues. I'd say the Blues controlled most of the period, if I'm being honest, and ultimately the Avalanche get on the board first from Belmar, and this was after that the Avalanche's first line was getting caved in by the Ryan O'Reilly line, the top line for the Blues. Like, they, they were straight up taking their lunch money. And the fourth line was phenomenal in this game and ultimately makes up for that. Because I was saying earlier, it's like you you stifle the first line and then almost almost like a pattern, the fourth line or the third line starts firing and scores two to three goals in that game. You, you saw it against Vegas as well when they put their effort into shutting down McKinnon, Rantanen, and Landeskog. Ultimately, the Avalanche won the game 5-1 to one because they didn't need those guys to produce because their depth went toe-to-toe with Vegas and scored five goals on them. And that's the same thing that happened here. Belmar all of a sudden is scoring at least every five games. He's got his sixth goal this season. Liam O'Brien had a very nice assist on it. Liam O'Brien had a very nice assist on it, the guy we can't stop ripping on. And like, I just, I don't even know what to say at this point. Like it's, you cut off one head and one just grows back stronger and just bites you in the back when you're not expecting it. Cause you, you, it's what I've talked about before on the show. It's like, how do you beat the avalanche? You, so, okay. You stifle that top line. Okay. Here's Pierre-Edouard Belmar on a one-timer and here's JT Comfort score later in the game. Like they just, they don't stop at all. Ultimately, the Blues tied it in the first period, a power play goal from Vince Dunn. And it really looked like it was going to be an uphill battle. Like, even after the first period, I still was kind of expecting them to lose and not even really feel bad about it. And then in the second period, they just did their thing. They just did their thing and scored three goals and were up 4-1 to one by the end of it. Confort with the goal, Ranton with a power play goal, and Brandon Saad with another one. And it's 4-1. to one. 11 minutes into the period and JT Comfer also as well he's been the whipping boy for a lot of the season and deservedly so at a lot of points but he's gotten some big goals at key moments for this team you go back to that first game against Vegas that they won five to one he got a big goal in that one too he gets a big goal here to put them up and again Liam O'Brien with the assist his first multi-point game I think of his career in the NHL so that almost guarantees that he's going to be sticking around after this game as well, at least until the rest of the lineup gets healthy. And this was really the only 20 minutes where I thought the Avalanche were a better team than the Blues. The first period I thought was close. I would give the edge to the Blues a little bit. The second period was all Colorado. They like they were running circles around them. It wasn't close. They ran the Blues out of their own building at that point and then it's 4 to 1. 11 minutes into that period and that's basically over third period i thought was all blues they get a goal from mike hoffman basically six minutes in that makes it a two goal game and they kept the pressure on the entire time they get another late goal again from mike hoffman this time a power play goal and it's a one goal game with just about three minutes to play and they really controlled most of the ice they outshot them 15 to 4 in that final period and just again with the team being tired they just looked like they didn't have their legs anymore it looked like it looked like the blues hadn't played a game in about three days which they hadn't and that the avalanche hadn't had more than one day off in the last 11 weeks you could re you could really see the difference it was noticeable so, eventually, that is going to come back to bite them. Ultimately, it didn't tonight, and they still found a way to win. I mean, this this game was close. Th- th- that final two minutes was probably the most anxiety-inducing hockey that they've played all season. Because that, that's a 4-1 lead on the line. You blow that, you're going to be hearing about that for the next week. And it's against the Blues. You don't want to do that against the Blues, who are going to be a potential playoff opponent. And there were fans at the, the Blues arena, and you could feel the energy in the building after that goal that made it 4-3, to that everyone was on their feet, the Blues kept swarming, Dubnik had to make some saves, and the Avalanche, they bent, but they didn't break, they didn't allow the tying goal, the, the Blues got close, they had a couple tricklers that got close to the net, but they all stayed out, so they found a way to win, again, somehow, even when I expected... Very little out of them in a game that they would have had every single excuse to lose, and I would not have even been mad one bit. If they blew the 4-1 lead, I would have been a little upset, but I would have been able to at least understand. But just coming into this game, I would have completely understood if they didn't win. But they did. They still did. Even without Donskoy, even without Grubauer and the uncertainty surrounding Grubauer, even with a lot of the exhaustion that comes from playing all their games and the exhaustion and fatigue that comes from the vaccine. I mean, Liam O'Brien was saying after the game, like, yeah, there were definitely guys that were feeling the effects of it, but we gutted it out. And like, that's heart. That is heart. Like that is just gritting your teeth playing through the fatigue and the pain and getting a win against a desperate team. The blues are not a bad hockey team. They were on a bad stretch for a while, but I think they're figuring it out. I don't think this is a bad team. And these are the kind of games that you have to win. And it shows a lot of heart that they got two points out of this one. They bent, but they didn't break. They have no quit in them whatsoever and that that's what's going to carry them far in the playoffs that's why when i predict this team to win the stanley cup it's not just looking at how good nathan mckinnon is and how good kale mccarr is while that certainly helps what i've seen on the ice from this team is heart and cohesion and just a belief in themselves that they can do this and i know it's the regular season and you shouldn't put a ton of stock into it but this team just feels different. And it's stuff like that that makes it feel different. And this does feel different from the Lightning from a few years ago. I'd watched Lightning games. The Lightning weren't really able to come back in that season because they were never down. They never had to like overcome adversity in that season. They dominated from puck drop on the first game to game 82 and the second Columbus hit him in the mouth in the playoffs they couldn't respond because they didn't know how because they'd never had to deal with anything this avalanche team has had to deal with a lot this season and even though their record might not show it they they had to deal with a lot of injuries at several different points in this season they had to deal with inconsistencies through the majority of the season essentially half of the season It really wasn't until March that this team really turned into a juggernaut. And they've had to find ways to win. They can win these tough, grit-your-teeth-and-bear-it games. They can win those games against the Ducks that are low-event hockey that require a lot of discipline and defense to stay focused. They can win those 9-3 games against Arizona. They can win any contest of skills, and they can win any contest of wills that's what makes this team feel different to me you don't see that very often it's a it's a very perfect combination of just everything that makes a championship team i don't see anything fragile about this team even when this team is down and losing they manage to at least find a way to come back and if they don't win it to at least stay in it if they're up four to one and all of a sudden it's four to three they don't panic. They, j- they stay in it, and they keep playing their game until the final horn sounds. That is what makes this team special, and that's why I think they are going to win the Stanley Cup and why I'm not even afraid of jinxing them when I say it, because I believe it with every fiber of my being that they're going to do it. Now, I, I, my only hang-up is when you get to the Final Four, everything is completely thrown astray, and all the the norms of previous seasons are thrown away as you don't, you'll have no idea who your opponent could possibly be. But at least in the West Division, I have full confidence that they're going to get to that Final Four. And I don't think anyone's wanted to have this conversation, but it looks like the Avalanche are going to win the President's Trophy. It looks like they're gonna do it. And I don't really care. I don't even really think I would even call it the president's trophy this season because it's the best record in the league, but there's really four separate leagues this year. Like the each division is essentially a different league. Like the two teams at 60 points are Washington and Toronto. We we haven't played either of them once, and we never will. Now the Avalanche are at 64 points. In 43 games, they're the only team in the NHL to still be in the single digits for regulation losses. And they have a 744 points percentage. This is very much happening. They are very much the favorites to win the President's Trophy unless Washington or Toronto or even Vegas or Carolina. Or, I mean, it's a... My God, look at this. This is just a clusterfuck of teams right here. It is... After you get from... The Avalanche at 64, Washington at 60, and Toronto at 60. It is one, two, three, four, five teams tied at 58 points from Vegas all the way down to Florida, and then you got Pittsburgh there at 56 points. This is a mess. I mean, the Avalanche. That's probably the most separation I've seen in the Presidents' Trophy race this entire season. But that—that's what I'm talking about. You don't have the the games against each other to push them further. Like, if we played Washington twice this season and beat them twice, we'd have an extra four points on them, and they'd be four points back as well. So you're not going to see that separation. So I don't even know if I'd put any stock into the President's Trophy this season, whether the Avalanche win it or not. But people like to talk about the President's Trophy as a curse. As someone who's grown up a Washington fan, I've seen it. But I also don't believe it exists. Also, if you want to talk about like curses and conspiracies about the President's Trophy, uh, the last time a President's Trophy team won the Stanley Cup was a shortened season. Yeah, the 2013 Blackhawks. They won the Stanley Cup in the lockout shortened season. They were the best team in the league by a mile, and they went through the playoffs. It wasn't easy, but they they marched through the playoffs and got... That Stanley Cup out of it. That was the last time that there was a shortened season in the NHL and also the last time that a President's Trophy winner won the Stanley Cup. So to me, you can take your curses about the President's Trophy, ball it up, and throw it right in the fucking trash because it means nothing to me. This team doesn't, like, it's a mental thing. The President's Trophy curse, if you want to call it that, is all mental. And and when you really look at it, like I don't I don't think I can find this stat relatively quickly, but I'm pretty sure that 6 of the last 20 presidents trophy winners have gone on to win the Stanley Cup. And I know it hasn't been recently, but that's still a, a sizable percentage that's not nothing. That's not, that's basically 30%. I don't know if I would be able to find what that exact number is, but it's not nothing. I mean, it's just because it hasn't happened recently in the NHL that people all of a sudden look at it as a curse because I mean, it it doesn't help that it hasn't gotten out the second round since 2015. But that's that's going to be an outlier in a few years. That's not going to last forever. I mean, if you look at it recently, I mean, let's look at it. Last team to win the Stanley Cup And the President's Trophy in the same season was the 2012-2013 Chicago Blackhawks. They were the best team in the league by a country mile. So let's look all the way back to 2000, ironically, the last time the Colorado Avalanche won the President's Trophy. And what did the Colorado Avalanche do in the 2000-2001 season? Oh, right. They won the Stanley Cup. And then what did the Detroit Red Wings do that next season, when they won the Presidents' Trophy, they won the Stanley Cup. Ottawa won it the next year. They lost in the Conference Final. Detroit wins it the next year. They lose in the Conference Semifinal. Detroit wins it the year after the lockout. They lose in the first round. Buffalo wins it the next year. They lose in the Conference Final. Detroit wins it in 2007-08. They win the Stanley Cup, and then first round loss for San Jose, first round loss for Washington, Stanley Cup final loss for Vancouver, first round loss for Vancouver, then the Blackhawks win the cup. Now we're in this current drought, I guess. Last time it happened was 2013. You go back to 2000, you have one, two, three, four. That's more than most teams. I know, And there was that stretch, that little four-year stretch where Vancouver goes to the Stanley Cup final one year and then the three President's Trophy winners surrounding them have first-round losses. But I just don't believe this is a thing. I believe it's such like a just a mental thing that there's just extra pressure on a President's Trophy t- team to win the Cup. Uh, there should be equal pressure on you whether you are the best the best team in the league or the worst team in the playoffs because at the end of the day you're all playing for the same prize you shouldn't feel more or less disappointed that you were eliminated or happier that you won the cup based on whether or not you won the president's trophy it's just such a meaningless award it's the best team in the regular season and the best team in the regular season is probably going to have the best shot at winning the cup because they were a very good team And I don't even think they should be handing out a President's Trophy anyway this season. Like I said, this isn't a, a normal season. There's not the same kind of sample size. Like, okay, Colorado beat up on the Ducks and the Kings and the Sharks better than the Capitals did against the Sabres and Devils. Actually, the Caps have beat up very badly on those two teams. But regardless, you don't have that same sample size. Washington's not playing Anaheim, or San Jose, and we're not playing Buffalo, or New Jersey, or Washington, so we don't really get that fair kind of matchup. Like, maybe we just match up better against the Ducks than we would against the Devils. Like, it's just, it's kind of pointless. It's going to get handed out. It's probably going to be the avalanche, and I'm probably not going to care, because it really doesn't matter this season. Maybe we win it anyway in a normal season, maybe we don't. But, like, the President's Trophy just gets such a big deal, put on it and it to me it just doesn't matter. It really just doesn't matter to me. One bit. And it's not gonna matter this season whether the Avalanche win it or not. I fully believe, whether they're first in the race or second in the race or whether they finish second in the division that they're going to win the Stanley Cup. I fully believe that. If they don't do it, I will fully accept being wrong. But I'm willing to put I'm willing to put it out there that I believe this team's going to win the Stanley Cup. President's Trophy curse be damned. I don't care. I think they're going to do it. Man, that was a little more of a rant about the President's Trophy than I was expecting, but I think that is going to do it for me today on this edition of the Tell It Abs It Is podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Follow me on Twitter at G Young's NHL, and follow the show at Tell It Abs It Is I have been your host, Griffin Youngs. Thank you so much for tuning in. There is no show without you beautiful people, and I will catch you next time after the avalanche. Have a few more games in the books, or at least one more against the Kings and another one on Sunday night against the Kings. Enjoy the games, guys. I will talk to you then. Have a great week.